Hey everyone, welcome to the Cornerstone Church Podcast. Our prayer is that through this message, you will find the Father, a family, and a fulfilling future. Be sure to connect with us online at Cornerstone Church Social to keep up with all things Cornerstone. Thanks for tuning in. So we are in this series, This Is How We Change the World. Pastor Brenda just knocked it out of the park the last two weeks. She came out of the bullpen throwing heat. She did so good the last two weeks preaching. Um, and what we've been talking about, if you weren't here, I'll just you know recap it real quick. We're talking about our core values, the the things that make Cornerstone Cornerstone, the things that are pretty unique to us as a church and how when we do those things, when we live those out and we make those our true core values of not just us as a church, but us as individuals, how we can change the world when we do that. And so we looked at our first two core values. Our first one is long live the king. Long live the king. And we're, we're declaring when we say that, that it is not about us, it's about him, it's about Jesus, and that we are here to make Jesus famous and follow where he leads. That is where, that's our starting point for everything we do at Cornerstone and everything we don't do at Cornerstone. This right here is the starting point, it's the foundation for it all. Long live the king. And then last week, Pastor Brendan talked about our second core value, which is unity is our calling card. How timely was this one. How timely was this with everything going on in the world, especially in our country right now. Unity is our calling card. We want to be known for what we are for, not what we are against. We don't wanna be a church that's constantly letting people know this is what we're against and we're against this too. Oh yeah, and we don't like this as well. And here's the big list of don'ts whenever you start coming to church. We don't wanna be that. We wanna be people who lead with what we're for. We don't wanna see differences all the time. What we wanna see is that our commonality, our rallying point for every single one of us, whether we're white or black, whether we're Democrat or Republican, that Jesus is what we rally behind. He is our foundation for everything we do. And so even if we have differences, we can have unity behind Jesus. So that was core value number two. Now, today um, we're gonna be jumping to the third one. And and before we really get into it, I wanna just talk real quick about core values uh, and just a little bit of a distinction that there are in values. Um, So there's, there's really two types of values and there is aspirational and actual. Aspirational and actual, and this is what I mean. An aspirational value is something that you're like aspiring to, that you want to be true, but it's not, (laughs) right? It's an aspirational, you're aspiring to it, but it's not really happening right now. And then there's an actual core value, and that's something that you're saying, this is what we value, this is who we are, and it actually plays out in how we do business and how we live our life and how we handle Uh, problems and opportunities and things like that. Um, And and this is what it looks like. Uh, Apple, who who has an iPhone? Who has an iPhone? Yeah, me too, me too, Apple. So Apple, one of their core values is creativity. It's been a core value of theirs since like 1981, that they wanna innovate, they wanna create, and they wanna push push the boundaries and push things forward. And I think they did that. <laughs> I think they're, they're pretty successful, right? The iPhone, um, it completely changed the game. They innovated the way people look at phones. Now with the iPad, they're changing the way people look at computers. It's, it's just crazy, the stuff that they've been able to do. That's an actual core value of theirs, creativity. They are constantly creating, constantly trying to innovate and make things better. Now, who knows what the company Enron was, not is, was. Anyone familiar with Enron? Google them, okay? It's a pretty, pretty interesting story. Back in 2001, Enron was a gigantic, 
gigantic company, an oil company, oil and gas company. Uh, they traded on the uh, stock exchange. It's this massive, massive company. But in 2001, crap hit the fan for this company and they went bankrupt. And the reason they went bankrupt is because this company that looked to be doing great, that everyone thought was fantastic, was actually cooking their books. They were hiding massive losses. They were hiding huge debt that they had. And so to the world, it looked like, hey, there's this massive, awesome company. And not just to the world, to their investors, to their stockholders. People were like, yeah, I own stock in Enron. Man, it's constantly up and to the right. These guys are great. They've never posted a loss, right? Like everything's great. Well, it turns out they've been lying this whole time. And they went from trading at over $100 a stock to trading to less than a dollar per stock in like a day when all this broke. They declared bankruptcy, people went to jail for it, huge. Guess what some of their core values were? Respect and integrity. Aspirational core values. <laughs> they weren't exactly living that out, right? Were they respecting their shareholders by holding back information? Were they being full of integrity whenever they were cooking their books to make it look like they were making more money so they could bring more in? Of course not, right? That was an aspirational core value. And the reason I'm talking about this distinction today is because the core value that we're focusing on today, the one that we're gonna dive into, I feel like we as a church kind of have our feet in both. In some ways, we are actually really living this core value out and we see it happening and it's amazing and it's awesome. But in other ways, it's aspirational. In other ways, we're not really doing as much as we could and, and we have room to grow, are you tracking with me? So we've kind of got our feet in both of these places and that's what we're gonna talk about today as we, don't, as we jump into this uh, core value, core value number three. So we're gonna be reading mostly today from the book of 2 Corinthians. This is a letter, the book of 2 Corinthians. It's actually a letter that one of Jesus's earliest followers, a man named Paul, it's a letter that he wrote to a church in the city of Corinth. And so he's writing them this letter. And at one point in the letter, he, he talks about a whole variety of subjects, but at one point, as we start getting to chapters eight and nine, Paul starts to talk about this severe trial that a couple of believers are going through, this group of believers. Uh, and what we know from history is that there was a massive famine in the area around the time that Paul wrote these letters. And so Paul is just pleading with other churches, with other believers saying, hey, this famine is hitting hard. People are in need. People are in distress. We need financial help. We need assistance. And so in chapters eight and nine, that's what he's doing. He's asking for fellow believers, for fellow Christians uh, to make a, a generous gift, to uh, dive in to financial generosity. And that's where we're gonna read today. Second Corinthians chapter nine, starting in verse six. This is what Paul says to the believers. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Paul's saying, hey, look, if, if you give a little, you're gonna reap a little. You're gonna get back a little. But if you give big, you're going to get back big. Verse seven, each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. About right now, some of you are going, oh, he's talking about money today, isn't he? Oh no, we're talking about giving, right? Because it's such a like, oh, it's such an uncomfortable topic. But Paul just dives into it. He's like, hey, look, I know this is hard. We're talking about money, but it's something we need to talk about. He continues, he said, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. 
Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Paul's saying, hey, look, whatever you give, God's gonna continue to meet your needs. He's gonna continue to supply you and other people are gonna see it and they're gonna see how God comes through for you. Verse 12, this service that you perform, this offering, is not only the supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, Others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Let's pray real quick. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that it contains. And God, what we ask today is that any baggage we bring into this conversation, any preconceived notions or ideas of what giving looks like or what generosity looks like, that we would take them and we would lay them at your feet and say, instead of what I think, God, I wanna know what you know. I wanna know your truth. I wanna allow your word to convict me and convince me of how I should be and what generosity truly looks like. We believe you for that, Father. We ask that you would help us to put any distractions aside so we can hear from you today. That's why we're here, God. We're here for you. We love you, and we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, core value number three. Core value number three for Cornerstone Church is second-mile generosity. Second-mile generosity. And what that means when we talk about second-mile generosity is that our time, our talent, and our treasure are cheerfully given to expand the kingdom of God and to impact our communities. Second mile generosity, we give our time, we give our talent, we give our treasure cheerfully to push the kingdom of God further and to impact our communities for the better. Now, this term, second mile generosity, where we get that from is from Jesus. We get it from Jesus. Jesus introduced this idea. Think about this. Before Jesus walked into history, this was a foreign idea. We take it for granted because we live in a, a, a Christ world. We live in a world after Jesus has been here and he's taught and he's teached and he's lived. Before Jesus, people didn't do second mile generosity. You were lucky to get one mile. <laughs> like people, people aren't going an extra step for anybody. So Jesus introduces this concept and he actually introduces it pretty on, uh, early on in his ministry. In Matthew chapter five, Jesus is giving his famous Sermon on the Mount and he's preaching. And one of the things he talks about is this, second mile generosity. And he, he uh, is describing what it looks like to be radically generous. This is what he says in Matthew chapter five, starting in verse 41. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks of you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Someone tries to force you to go one mile, say, hey, I'll go two. <laughs> Someone asks you to give, say, how much? Go the second mile, be radically generous. So Jesus, he, he introduces this concept into the world. He lives this concept through his life. He just completely unleashes this idea of second mile generosity. And then what we just read from the book of 2 Corinthians is Paul kind of elaborating on that and showing what that looks like when the church is doing it, when believers are being radically generous. 
Now, whenever we talk about second mile generosity, it said that we give of our time, our talent, and our treasure, right? Our time, we, we schedule things out, we invest our time, we invest uh, our talent, the skills that God has given us, the different uh, capabilities that we have, we invest those things. But here's what I wanna tell you. Time and talent, we're gonna talk about those things next week. Today, we're just exclusively talking about our treasure, giving God from our resources, from our finances. Now, money is an interesting thing, right? Like already some people are thinking like, we're, we're talking about money. Like, can't he still have COVID and not be here so we don't gotta talk about money? <laughs> like, you sure you're feeling better, Pastor Jacob? Maybe you still got a cough. Maybe you should go quarantine again. Because money is, it's a funny thing. It's a funny thing. It makes us act weird. It makes us talk weird. But only in church, <laughs> only in church. Like whenever we're outside, just, just this last week, uh, me and Jessica were having, uh, after we were feeling better, <laughs> having dinner with uh, a couple, and we were talking uh, about how whenever someone owes us money, or if like we chip in on something, we told we like want them to cash app us the money back, or or you know Venmo, don't give me cash, like like if I chip in and you're like oh here you go here's a twenty to pay you back, I don't like it because I'll spend it. Like, I, I just want it to go into the account. It's better in the account because if I have the cash on hand, I'm gonna spend it. Like, it's just gonna happen uh, unless I, I am very, like, diligent and very responsible and very, which I, I have been recently. Check this out. I've got a $50 bill still in here. This thing has been in here for like a month and a half. Kid you not. And it's because money's a funny thing. Guess what happens if I break this? It's gone. <laughs> it's just gone. It's gone. The second this thing gets broken, if I buy a pack of gum or something like that, suddenly I'm going to find a reason to spend the rest of it. Because money is a funny thing. It makes us do funny things. It makes us feel certain ways, especially in church. Especially in church. We talk about money in church. We talk about giving and generosity, and it can get uncomfortable. Can I be honest real quick? Is that all right? For some of us, for some of us, we would rather you go through our phone's internet search history than go through our bank account. For some of us, you would rather us look through your photos or your text messages than a bank account because it's money. That's, my, that's, that's me. You don't need to be looking there. You don't need to know any of this. It's a sensitive topic. It's why so many churches just punt on the idea of money all year and then maybe have one sermon to kind of talk about it and get it out of the way real quick because it's uncomfortable. It causes tension. It feels awkward, but here's the thing. It's necessary. It's necessary. You know why? Because Jesus talked about it. Because scripture talks about it. Do you know Jesus, he, he gave 40 parables, 40 different stories that he told in 18 of them either talk directly about money or use money as an illustrating source, that's half, 18 out of 40. That, that's half of his parables dealt with money and with finances and with generosity and with giving and being sacrificial in it. So if Jesus is talking about it, he's focusing that much time on it, how in the world can we just ignore it? How in the world can we act like, no, nothing to see here, let's not address it, we have to. It's a necessary thing that we talk about especially if we want to change the world, especially if we want to change our world. If we want to change our world, sacrificial giving, sacrificial generosity is how we do it. Giving changes 
the world, but not just any giving, second mile giving, second mile generosity. Second mile generosity is what does it. Second mile generosity is what can change our world for the better because it's sacrificial and it's costly and you feel it. That's the definition of sacrifice, right? You feel something, you are giving something up. And that's what second mile generosity is. It is sacrificial. We give something up, we feel it. We need to do that if we're gonna change the world. You see, we, some of the stuff that we're gonna be talking about today, you know already. I'm not saying anything new up here. You know this stuff to be true. For example, we all know and we can all agree that small investment leads to small impact, right? Small investment leads to small impact. That's, that's not shocking, but we forget it sometimes, especially when it comes to generosity to God. That small investment leads to small impact. That's what Paul said. Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. Small investment produces small impact. As you can tell, I'm a big Browns fan. This is the exact shirt that I wore last week. So I put this bad boy on again because I'm like, I don't want any of the juju to wash off of it. Like I, wanna, I want another win, <laughs> right? I'm a huge sports fan. Any of the Cleveland teams, I'm all about them, right? Like I can remember back in 2016 watching the Cavs, uh, uh, Warriors game seven. I, I remember everything about that day, like everything about it. I can remember watching it was Father's Day. I remember me and my brother and my brother-in-law and my dad all down in my dad's basement, the man cave, watching the final uh, game. And, you know, LeBron gets the block and Kyrie hits the shot and Kevin Love gets the stop. And I mean, we're, we're losing it. Like we're, we're crying. And I don't mean that as an exaggeration. We're literally crying. We're like, this is the greatest thing ever. Like, can you believe this, this is nuts? We were just losing it. And the same thing last week, the Browns beat the Steelers. I, I told Jessica, I was like, honey, someone is gonna call the cops thinking someone's being murdered in our home because I'm just like, yes, I'm screaming at the top of my lungs. I'm fist pumping, I'm scaring the kids, right? Like it's, it's nuts, <laughs> it's, it's nuts. And you wanna know why it was like that? Why these games had such a huge impact on me? I was invested. I was heavily invested in these teams. I'm not a casual fan. I'm not a casual fan. You can ask me batting averages for, for the tribe and I can tell you pretty, pretty close to what people are batting. You can ask me who's the best player on the Cavs and who's their coach and I can tell you. You can ask me what kind of system the Browns run and I can tell you because I'm invested. I'm invested. I have a big investment in the team. I've watched them for years, for decades, growing up watching these teams. I, I was rocking a Webster Slaughter jersey back whenever I was five years old, right? Like I'm invested in these teams. And because of that big investment, how they do has a big impact on my life. Are you tracking with me? If we have a small investment in our relationship with God, if we have a small investment, why are we shocked whenever we have small results? Whenever we have a small investment, why are we surprised whenever we see small things happen in our life? Small investments produce small impacts. Investment, man, the thing about investment is it's really, I mean, it's about trust, right? How well do you trust something? If someone tells you that they have an investment opportunity, instantly the first thing on your mind is, how well can I trust this person? <laughs> like, are you looking to just take my money or what, what, what's going on here? Investment is about trust. And so whenever we invest small, whenever we invest small, whenever we say to God, I'm trusting you with small, that's what we're doing. 
We're telling him, God, I don't really trust you all the way. I'm giving you this small investment and I'm expecting a huge impact and it just doesn't work that way. And not only does it not work that way, it, it, it insults God. Because think about it, what we're essentially doing whenever we do that, whenever we have a small investment into God, we're telling him, hey, God, you know what? I trust you with my past. I trust you with my dysfunctions. I trust you with my sin. I trust you with all these things because all hail King Jesus, right? Except when it comes to my finances. All hail King Jesus, except when it comes to my bank account. Then all hail me. I'll keep the control. I'll, I'll tell you where the budget's going. I'll tell you where the money's going. You handle the, the other stuff because I believe you're big enough to save me from my sin, but you're not big enough to help me in my finances. God calls our bluff. We may be fooling ourselves. We are not fooling him. We may be fooling other people, but we're not fooling God. God wants all of us. God does not want us to be compartmentalized Christians where it's like different rooms of a house. And you know what? Okay, here's my Jesus room. Jesus, just stay in there. Let me lock the door real quick. Okay, and then here's my friend room and here's my financial room and here's my work room. That's not the way it's supposed to work. God does not want compartmentalized Christians. He wants holistic Christians who see that it's not Jesus and then my money and Jesus and then my friends, but no, Jesus in my money, Jesus in my friends, Jesus in my work career. That's what God is looking for. People who trust him with everything. People who invest in him with everything because when we invest with everything, God can do something amazing. Big investment leads to big impact. Are we gonna trust God? Because God wants it all. God wants all of you. God wants all of you. He wants all of us. Are we going to trust him? Are we gonna invest in the way that we should? Whether I do, like whether I actually do trust in God, whether I do invest in God, it has a lot to do with how I see generosity. It has a lot to do with how I see Giving, how I view it has a lot to do with whether I decide to trust in God or not. So I wanna ask you today, and I'm asking everybody online too, you don't gotta say it out loud, don't gotta put it in the comments, but answer for yourself, how do you see generosity? How do you see generosity? How do you see it? How, how did you see it growing up? How do you see it now? How have you felt about it? Do you see it? Most people fall into one of these categories. When we talk about it at a church, when we talk about giving, when we talk about generosity, you either see it as an opportunity, you see it as an obligation, or you see it as an option. It's about 99% of all people see it as an opportunity to trust. And it's a trust, I'm gonna trust God, I'm gonna take this, this step of faith and I'm gonna trust him with my finances, it's an opportunity, or it's an obligation, it's like tax season. Oh yeah, gotta pay my tax to church. Gotta pay my membership fee. How much do I owe you this time, right? See it as an obligation or do you see it as an option? You see it as an option. You're just tipping God. Like, you know what, God, you've, you've been good. You've been good recently. Here you go. Here's a tip for you. How do you see it? How do you see generosity? Is it an opportunity? Is it an obligation? Or is it an option? We know what Paul said. He wants people who are giving cheerfully. Verse seven, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful 
giver. That word cheerful, the Greek for it literally means hilarious. Someone who is happy to be giving. Someone who's excited to be giving. Someone who sees giving as an opportunity for God to show off and to do something amazing. That is what God wants. That's how Paul described second mile generosity. That's the kind of second mile generosity that Jesus lived in his life. Now, many of us, we may feel, you may feel that giving and generosity is an obligation or an option. That's how you've always felt about it. Whenever a pastor gets up and starts talking about money, it makes you feel a certain way. Like, oh, geez, here comes the pity party and they're trying to make me feel guilty and they just want money so they can raise their salaries and they just want money so they can do all this stuff that they don't need to do. And you see it as an obligation and fine, I'll just, I haven't given it in a while so I'll write a check today and then I won't give again for like five months and then I'll throw, you know, 20 in the offering plate. It's, it's an obligation, right? Or it's just, it's an option. It's something you just, you're just throwing the tip down. And that's how you feel. But can I tell you today that giving and true generosity is not a feeling, it's a decision. It's a decision. It was always supposed to be a decision. Again, that's what Paul says. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart, not what you felt like in the moment. What you have decided, what you have thought about, what you have prayed about. Giving is not a feeling. Generosity is not a feeling. It's a decision. It's a choice. And that is a very big distinction between the two, between a feeling and a decision. Because decision gives generosity depth. A decision gives generosity depth and a weight that, that just doing something on the spur of the moment or just because you feel guilty at this time just doesn't do. And this is, this is what I mean. Husbands out there, have you ever gotten your wife or significant other uh, a Valentine's Day gift or an anniversary gift or a Christmas gift that was like an afterthought? From the chuckles, I'll assume that yes, there have been a few of those gifts given guilty as charged right here too, where, where you're like, oh crap, I gotta get something for him. And so you stop off at Walgreens on the way home and you try to make it look like you've thought about this for a long time, but you clearly have not. Like you just came up with it in the moment and you got this gift. You're like, Ugh, yeah, I kind of forgot. It's kind of an afterthought, but happy Valentine's Day. Here you go, right? Or sorry, yeah, here, m- Merry Christmas, or if you've given something and it's out of obligation and the person who's getting the gift can just feel that you felt like you had to get this for them. It just feels different, doesn't it? But how about whenever someone truly decides to give you something? When someone truly decides and they put thought and they put planning and they put action into a gift, like the times, and I gotta get better at it, but the times when Jessica has like mentioned something and she's only mentioned it like once or twice, Right? but I've picked up on it and I'll put it down on my phone. And then like months later, it'll be an anniversary or Christmas and I'll get that thing for her. Even if that thing is not an expensive thing, it's a little $20, you know, something, it means so much to her. You know why? Decision gives generosity depth. Because in that moment, Jessica knows I decided to do something for her. I didn't do it out of obligation. I didn't do it as an option. I didn't do it on spur of the moment. No, I decided. I listened to her. I put it in my phone. I planned. I found what she liked. I decided on it. It shows there's value in the relationship. It shows I listened to her. It shows that I love her. God wants the same from us. God doesn't want your afterthought gift. 
God doesn't want your guilt giving of, oh, well, yeah, it's been a couple months. All right, let me pull out the wallet. God does not want that. It is a relationship. And in relationships, decisions, actual decisions, give generosity, depth, give it weight, give it value. So decide. Don't give out of feeling. Don't give by how you feel moment by moment. Give by what you decide to give, what you decide in your cheerful heart to give to God. Not an occasional tip, not a regular but reluctant tax, but a constant, consistent trust in God and saying, God, I love you and I trust you. Here you go. God, I love you and I trust you. Here you go. God, I am relinquishing my control and I am truly saying you're Lord of all. Here you go. You truly are my king. I'm listening to you in every area. It's yours. I trust you more than I trust me. And when we do that, when we do that, whenever we truly do second mile generosity and we start trusting God with our money in a radical way, God uses it. He uses it to bless us and to bless other people. Again, this is what Paul says, now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for your food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way. How many ways? Every way. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. God and Paul is saying, the more you give, the more you get. Now, this isn't prosperity gospel stuff. This is straight from the Bible saying, hey, look, the more that you give away, the more God is gonna enrich you and bless you for you to give again, for you to just continue to be an open hand saying, God, please use me. If you were with us last year, towards the end of the year, we had a, a sermon series called Thank It to the Bank, talking a little bit about gratitude. And one of the things we talked about is how whenever it comes to God and the kingdom of God, things are upside down. The way that you normally think they would work, they don't work that way. They work the opposite. And so in math, what happens when you subtract from a number? Does that number get bigger or smaller? Smaller, <laughs> right? You, you guys pass the test. Congratulations. <laughs> Whenever you subtract, it just gets, it gets smaller. Like, of course, that's how it works in the world. That's, that's how the natural works, but not so with God, not so with the kingdom of God. When we give, when we give from second mile generosity, Paul and Jesus are saying, we will be enriched in every way so we can continue to be generous, that God will see us through, that he will provide for our needs. And so it's miracle math. The more I give, the more I get. The more I give, the more I get. The more that I trust in God and I give of myself, the more he gives me confidence, the more he gives me assurance that he's gonna see me through. It's miracle math. When we trust in God, God uses our second mile generosity. We give we get, we rinse and repeat. We give from a radical, generous heart. And here in just the last uh, few moments, I wanna go over just a, a few things that I hope, I hope you've been listening to the whole thing that I haven't just been talking to hear my head roar as my dad used to say. But man, if there's just one thing that you pick up on from today's sermon, and pastors love to say this, if there's only one thing you walk away with today, but I'm saying if there's one thing that you remember from today's sermon, it's this, miracles are not found on the mandated mile. 
Miracles are not found on the mandated mile. Why don't you put that in the chat if you're watching online because just to help remind you, just declare it, that miracles are not found on the mandated mile. The mandated mile is what Jesus is referring to in Matthew chapter five. Jesus says, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them too. You may be reading that going, if anyone tries to force me to go a mile, they will catch two fists to the face. Like, I'm not going anywhere. What are you talking about? Forces me to go a mile. But in Jesus's time, ancient Israel was under Roman occupation. The Roman Empire completely just swallowed them up, took over. And so in Jesus's day, a Roman soldier could come along on the road, find you minding your own business and force you through mandate to go at least one mile with him, carrying his supplies, helping him out in any way that he needed. He could force you to do that for up to one mile. And so what Jesus is saying is, hey, if anyone comes up and forces you to go one mile, go two. If anyone comes up and uh, uses the mandate that you have to help them go one mile, offer to go another one with them. And what I want you to know is that miracles in your life are not found in that first mandated mile. Because you know what that mandated mile looks like for us today when it comes to generosity? That mandated mile is all the stuff you have to use your finances on. Your mortgage, your rent payment, your cell phone bill, your car, gas, that's all the mandated stuff. That's all the stuff that not Roman soldiers are fo forcing anymore, but life is forcing upon you. Choices is forcing upon you. Being an adult is forcing upon you. All these things, that, that's how far you have to go. You have to do those things with your finances. That's the mandated mile. But that second mile, that second mile is not the you have to, it's the you choose to, you decide to. Once you get to that point, you're saying, no, 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 I'm not gonna just, after I've walked that one mile, hoard everything for myself. I am going to decide in faith to step forward and trust and rely on God. I'm going to be generous. I'm gonna give. And yes, it's scary. Yes, it's hard. Yes, it's uncertain. I wanna tell you, I still to this day, when me and Jessica tithe, whenever we give, there's still that moment of hesitation as I'm typing in the number online and I look to myself and I think, whew, it's a pretty big number. <laughs> look a lot better in my bank account than going out, right? Like it would look a lot better coming in than, than going out. And I, I still to this day, because it's scary. I'm not up here trying to tell you, you know what? Just give, it's the easiest thing in the world. Be generous because it, all, it always works itself out instantly and you never have to be worried about anything. It's a step of faith. It's a step of faith. It's saying, I'm going to invest in God. I'm gonna trust in God because he has never let me down before and I'm gonna trust him in every area of my life so I can truly call him Lord, so I can truly call him King because I'm listening to him everywhere. Yes, it's scary, but it's worth it. It's worth it. So that first mile, that's the mandated mile. The second mile, that's the miracle mile. And what I wanna tell you is there are some of you in this room, there's some of you watching online who you have not seen, tasted, or felt a miracle in a long time. You've been waiting, you've been hoping that God would move in certain ways, and you've been hoping that certain habits in your life would change, you've been hoping that situations in your life would be better, that your son would come home, that your boss would ease up a little bit, that all of these things, you've been hoping that these things would happen, but you stopped walking. You stopped walking. You got to the end of that first mile of trusting God and you just stopped and said, this is good enough. 
But everything that you're hoping God can do, everything you're trusting and you're, you're hoping and you know he can do lives in the second mile. And if you stop at the end of mile one, you're never gonna see it. You're never gonna sniff it. You're never gonna taste it. You're never gonna have it in your life. Do you understand? Are you following me? We're praying for moves of God, but we're standing still. We have got to step in faith into that second mile saying, I know it's scary. I know I may not know where some of my finances are coming from, but God, I'm trusting you. I'm trusting you. I'm gonna be generous, not just so I can change the world, but I can change my world. I'm trusting you, God, that miracles will be found in the second mile. Keep walking. You wanna know who walked the second mile? If you're a believer, your king did. Your Lord did. He walked the second mile and the third and the fourth. He walked it all the way to the cross. He walked it all the way to the cross for me and for you to give us new life, to give us a new way to usher in the kingdom of God. He went the second mile. Who are we to stop short? Who are we to say, no, mile one, just the mandated mile, that's, that's good enough for me. I'm gonna stop here. Jesus went to the cross for us. So if you're having a hard time, you've come up to that mile marker and you're having a hard time taking that next step, I wanna tell you, embrace the gospel. Truly get into scripture, truly pray, truly ask God to, man, just open up what you did for me, Jesus. I really wanna, I just wanna feel what you did for me because I'm telling you the gospel the gospel, what Jesus did, what he went through for you, not for the collective us, but for you, for Jacob Young, what Jesus did for me. Whenever I realize that, the gospel is the greatest catalyst for generosity. You wanna become a generous person, realize exactly what Jesus did for you. Realize exactly what he laid down for you, how generous he was for you. The gospel is the catalyst for my greatest generosity. Jesus spared nothing, so neither will we. We are declaring that as a core value of our church, that Cornerstone Church will spare nothing to be radically generous and to step in faith into the second mile. In fact, do you guys know why you're here today? Everyone watching online, you know why you're here? I'll tell you. Because other people at Cornerstone Church went before you and walked the second mile. Because people named Dean and Bernice Stevenson walked the second mile. Because Norm and Ernestine Jones walked the second mile. Because Jim and Bonnie Stetler walked the second mile. That's why you're here. That's why we're able to do what we do because of people who saw the example of their king and said, if he can do it, I'm gonna do it. If that's what Jesus did and that's what he's calling me to, I'm gonna truly make him Lord and King of my life. I'm going to walk the second mile. You and I right now are sitting in other people's investment. Not a small one, a big one, a sacrificial one, a second mile investment. So if Jesus did it and they did it, what in the world is stopping us? Let's be generous. Not out of aspiration, but actually generous. Jesus paid it all for us. Let's start paying him back. Well, that's all for this week. 
Thanks again for joining us. If you'd like to contact us or find out more about our ministry, head over to our website at cornerstonechurch.info. Have a great week.